Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast, where you learn about advanced wealth building strategies from real estate investing to creating massive ROI and secure retirement profits. So pour yourself a cup of coffee, grab a notepad, and lean in. Because Big Mike has got the life starting now. Welcome to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. I'm the Big Mike. Mike Zlatnik. And today it is my pleasure and a privilege to welcome uh, my good friend, Glenn Stromberg. Hi, Glenn. Mike, how are you, man? I, I really, I've really been looking forward to this. I appreciate you having me. Thank you kindly. Now, I would like to correct this joke because I'm 6'4", a little bit on a bigger side than you, a little bit shorter. Uh, I'm seven, better shape. You, you've lost some weight, so it's Big Mike and Little Glenn, right? That's right. That's right. It, 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 we're going to take the show on the road one day. That's for sure. So yeah, we have to do that. Yeah. So Glenn, you hail from Dallas, Fort Worth area. Tell us a little bit about uh, you. You came back. This is your second appearance on the podcast. I'm humbled and honored to have you, uh, and uh, appreciate uh, you are the Bravo from the CG Mastermind, from the Freedom Founder Mastermind, as I as I like to call it. You're an officer and a gentleman, but tell us a little bit about your family first. Yeah, good. Well, like I say, I've got I've got two kids, six grandkids. Uh, so yeah, great family, and and uh, and so yeah, li- life life is good in that area. Uh, you know, I, I always tell people grandkids are a whole lot better than a whole lot easier than kids, and I, man, I, I I like that side of it. It's fun, and they call me G Pop, and so yeah, it's really cool. And uh, looking forward to a good Christmas with them. So that's the family side, and then. The business side, we are based in Dallas-Fort Worth, uh, and we do business in four states. We do business in Texas, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia. And we, as you know, we have a specialty niche. We buy manufactured homes that are on land. These are, and I always want to clarify for your listeners, this is not mobile home parks. That's a whole nother investment. We're buying existing homes that are already on the land, just like a single family house, Typically, they're a 1,500 to 2,000 square foot double wide manufactured home on a half an acre to an acre track of land. We buy them, we fix them up like new. That's our secret sauce, by the way. New air conditioning, new new, new roof, new plumbing, whatever it needs to, to bring it up to up to the codes to push deferred maintenance down the road. And then we 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 lease them out. We have a full time property management company, and we do. We do a combination of lending lending deals where we bring in private investors to, uh, to 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 lend us the money on our on our when we're holding the house. Then we do turnkeys also with our private investors. So that's a that's a quick overview of what we do and everything that we have. It's it's a deed of trust or a mortgage depending on the state and um, and so um, that's 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 our that's our niche and. We like to call it the best kept secret in real estate investing because people, very few people know about it or get it. And uh, I don't, we don't have a whole lot of competition, which is nice. So, Thank you for the great overview. So what's the difference? Of, first of all, I, I agree with you. I don't have grandkids and uh, having, I guess, grandkids is always easier than having the kids because uh, the kids, they need, you know, they always need little money from you. They need a little bit more of you and grandkids. You just get to chill out with them. So, but that, let's put that aside. I, I agree. Uh, manufactured homes. How do they differ? Obviously they're very different from a mobile home park. So we, we, we clear that out. Now let's compare manufactured home versus a traditionally built home. These manufactured homes are not kind of homes on wheels. They are manufactured, they are installed, and they basically be- become 
one with land, right? It's basically they marry the land. It's not like they're going to get moved. Absolutely, absolutely. And let so me give you. Are these similar to just normally constructed homes? They just less expensive to construct. Absolutely, because they run them in, they run them in, in an assembly line in, in indoors inside, um, and and they use the same materials. They're using OSB and plywood in the floors, two by fours, two by sixes in the walls. You can get virtually every amenity in a manufactured home that you can get in a single family home. And, you know, it's interesting. My dad was a mason contractor and he's retired now, of course, but he was a mason contractor and a builder in the Chicago area. He came and looked at 15 of my properties here in Texas and he went, man, these are built better than the track house, most track houses in Chicago. So, I mean, it's just, you know, it's funny because when I speak in public, I always show a picture of an old 12 by 60 metal sided house. And I say, how many people think this is what a, what a, what a manufactured home looks like mobile and looks like 80% of the hands go up. Then we'll show pictures of what we, what we buy and people go, wow, I had no idea they look like that. So what, what the beauty of what we do is you're buying the property, you're buying the land and the home together. It's like, just like buying a single family home for a half to a third of the cost, depending on the area. The rents are proportionally higher. We're giving the tenants much more, we're giving them more square footage for the dollar. Plus they get a lot more land too. Instead of zero lot line houses, they're getting a half acre to an acre track of land, which especially during COVID, boy, people, you know, our, our demand was always great, but during COVID it was like three X. It was like three X because people didn't want to be around people, right? And uh, a lot more people have gone to family office, you know, working out of their working out of their home now. So they need more square footage to have an office to work out of their house. And so our demand, like I say, was three X since COVID hit. So it's been, it's been been incredible for us actually yeah that's really fascinating that you i guess can have a same quality even better home for i guess lower cost and that that today's world where there's a lot of cost inflation it makes a whole lot of difference uh, for folks to be able to get into a property at a lower cost than uh, ground up construction of a brand new. Is this because the to manufacture a home, uh, whatever factory they, they get manufactured, drive it to the location and install it, it's a lot less expensive than building it right there at that location. It's just this just economy of scale kicks in. I'm just yeah, trying I, to understand why there's a substantial difference in cost. Yeah, economy, economy of scale for sure, because in a factory, they can build, a good factory can build six houses in a day. Right. They, they've got the labor force. Uh, it really is a fascinating thing. If you've never been inside a manufactured home plant, how they do it. They just run them side by side. And just like they got the flooring people that just just all the different the different, you know, segments lined up and, and they, they they build them that way. Right. So it, it cuts the cost of it cuts the cost of production, cuts the labor cost, all, all that good stuff. Um, but for us, we're buying existing ones, used ones. And so we're getting a substantial discount from that because we're buying, you know, we're buying the used ones, right? A lot of the properties we buy, same thing as a single family home, you know, guy, you know, a lot of them need a lot of work, right? So, you know, we'll, we'll buy them in all, all various shapes and, and uh, fix them up like it doesn't matter to us because we're going to fix them up like new anyway. So we're getting them at a very, very good price. And, and as you know, like in America, I've never seen it like this in my whole career, there really is an affordability crisis in America right now. I mean, just there's there's just for rent for for purchase. There's just in most areas there's just not much affordable stuff, and so it's it's really in demand right now. And here's kind of the tell: 
if you go to a new manufactured home plant right now and you order a home today, you can't get it for a year. It's backed up for a year right now. So the, the market is really, you know, the supply chain is messed up. There's, the, you know, it's, it's, it's really backlogged right now. So that's, that's part of the, that's part of the, the problem. That's part of, that's part of the problem. So. Yeah, it makes total sense. So I appreciate the clarification that effectively you're picking up existing uh, manufactured homes. And really, there's really no difference. I mean, everything you said is uh, manufactured or was you know, manufactured in the factory, brought, installed versus constructed uh, at, at whatever the location is. Uh, as long as you can get a better deal, better cost, you know, what, what would be the equivalent of Rent. So let, let's talk about some numbers. So let's just say you pick up a home. What, what do you typically pick up today? What kind of a deal? What do you pay for? Yeah, let me let me run, and I'll just use. You know, we're in, we're in a give bunch me a live of, example. What do you? What does yeah. it rent for? What does it cost? Yeah, let me, let, me give, you, let me give you an example here. Okay, so we're in four different states, so that's different. Like Texas is higher than the Carolinas and Georgia, right? So, right. but let, I'll give you an example in Texas, okay, and just kind of the you know like where it was 10, 10, 7, 10 years ago, and where it is today, right? We, we used to buy homes for, and I say all-in price, right? Because we don't care the acquisition plus the rehab, that's the all-in price. Doesn't matter you know, how much, you know, whatever, whatever the ratio is or whatever. But back, you know, back, back seven to 10 years ago, our all-in prices were $60,000, okay? So the ones that we've held, those houses now are selling for $150,000 to $200,000, okay? Why? Because single family homes used to be in the Dallas Fort Worth area, used to be a hundred and a quarter to 150. Now they're three and a quarter to 350, right? And then to break out the to break out the rents, right? The rents are proportionally like a 2,000 square foot house in a, in a nice suburb here is probably gonna go for 2,000, 2,200, right? And, and it's worth 300,000, right? That's it's worth three, three, three and a quarter probably is the, is the, is probably where it's at. And so if we buy a 2000 square foot manufactured home, we're probably going to pay today. We're going to pay some somewhere in the neighborhood of probably about a, probably about 90 to a hundred and our rents are going to be 14, 1500 a month. So proportionally it's much, much better, much better, much better returns. So well, only in 90,000, right? 90 to 100. That's 90 that. to 100. Wow. 90 to 100, yes. Yeah, the RV, the rent to value ratio on manufactured homes generates much higher return. The holy grail is 1%. You're actually above 1%. If you're renting for 1400, you're all in at 100,000. You're getting like a 1.4% a month, which is in today's day and age is incredibly good. And that's because, you know, many, you know, there's, not, not, you know, I'm not gonna say there's no competition, right? I don't know of anybody doing it to the scale that our company's doing it, but I mean, obviously there's people that buy them, but, uh, um, you know, and, and, but it's, it's, yeah, it just, it, that's why I say it's the best kept secret in real estate investing because people just don't, they just don't know about it or. Yeah. It. Yeah. It is a sort of a best kept secret. Uh, most folks just buy regular homes and renovate and then they try to flip them. Uh, manufactured is a niche for sure. So what are the opportunities for folks to invest with you? Just talk a little bit about uh, when you have next set of projects. I know you don't do a fund, so you have one-off deals. Right. So what kind of deals do you do with investors? Just curious, how do yeah, what well, programs you have? What do you offer them? Yeah, we have, we have two different, we have two different uh, programs for investors. One, they come in as a lender. They're a lien holder, just like a bank, okay? What we do is we'll do a five-year interest-only note, okay, 
five years interest only. We pay 6% plus two points, plus they're getting 35% shared appreciation. So they're, they're, they're capturing the upside too. Um, so, you know, that $100,000 house we buy in Texas, right? We're not going to pay more than 80 for that. So you got 20,000 equity going in. And, you know, my guess is, you know, once again, I, I don't have a crystal ball, but I, I, I think I think inflation is here to stay for a while. I think we're going to see some some big time inflation. We already did last year, I believe, but we're going to see it again and again and again. And that's why I believe real estate is just a great place to have your money because it's an inflation hedge, right? If you're sitting if you're sitting on cash, you know the, the CPI index was six point nine percent last year, I believe. But people that like there's a guy named John Williams Shadow Stats and because the, the government keeps throwing out the, the stuff they don't like. He said under the old CPI, the real inflation rate was 14% last year. So if you're sitting on cash, you're losing 14% for yes. real estate. Real it's estate. the street inflation. Uh, yeah, you're, you're, you're preaching to the choir uh, that I, I happen to agree with you 100% that the inflation uh, has accelerated and it's not transitory. It's more of a permanent um, for at least the foreseeable future. And real estate is a great, great hedge against inflation. At the end of the day, how it hedges is that during inflation, typically rents go up at a pace to keep up with inflation, more or less. And that's the that's the key message. As long as you can keep pushing rents up, the values will continue to increase yeah. as most investors look at these assets based on the income they generate. Not only that, what I've learned is, yeah, rents do go up, but you're also building that appreciation with all with that's growing tax. You know, you're not, you, that's growing tax deferred. You don't pay taxes on it until you do it. So, but yeah, that's our lending. Have you model. ever figured out what is the value of the thirty five percent? Oh yeah, equity yeah. share that you've given. Yeah, and, and, okay, and I have to say, okay, I, I have I have to put a disclaimer on this. Okay. Past returns are not indicative of future. You know, it's right. I mean, it's not okay because we've had a crazy inflation. I mean, we on some of our lending deals, we've had people making 20, 30, 40, 50 percent. Okay, just because it's been so- not annualized inflation, just in, just return, no annualized returns, more like total returns 50 percent. They only get six percent in the interest, and, yeah, no, no. and so but the so return feel- over some years is 50 percent. Yeah, I feel com- well. We've had have some that have been even better than that, but but I mean, I feel comfortable saying that this history shows on, on the lending side you're going to make somewhere between ten to sixteen percent. I'm comfortable giving between that the number. interest and then the shared appreciation. Correct. I'm, I'm comfortable giving you know with that. It's been more than that for the most part, but uh, you know, once again, I can't predict the future. Very respectable um, number. Obviously it's been hot. The returns have been very, 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 very good. Yes. Now the turnkey, that's when we sell to the investor, right? That's the and program then, number two. Correct. And, and, and whether you do lending or turnkey, we tell our investors, there's only two things you got to do. Wire the money to the title company and look at your statement every month. They're totally passive. We do everything for them, right? So the turnkey model, we're selling it to them. We're property managing it for them. Uh, we're doing every everything you know everything for them, and the turnkey invest you know the turnkey has been m- much better than that the last seven years. It's been because the markets have appreciated because the market's been crazy. We've had we've had investors that you know have looked up and we just had one investor looked up and he he sold the property, he doubled his money in six years. So I mean you know but is that is that going to happen in the future? No, I can't. I'm not going to say that right, but it's it's it could like I, I tell people this. Do you think we're going to see the same appreciation the next five years? And, and my answer is yes, but I don't know what the dollars will buy at that time. That's that's, that's what I because I think the inflation is going to take a take a hit. That's what I think. So, 
Well, from a money supply problem, the U.S. money supply has been growing at such an accelerated rate. If we uh, sort of follow the trend, the trend is your friend. Is, is your friend. Uh, it may continue, right? The, the government seems to have little interest uh, in uh, tightening up the belt. They just, you know, it's easy to, to borrow and spend. I personally, I personally believe they can't tighten up the bill. I don't believe they can raise interest rates too much because they can pay it on the debt. That's what I believe. But yeah. and so I, I don't think they have many tools left in their toolbox. And I think they, they just have to keep inflating the currency. And the other thing that what, what, and I know, you know, you're, you know, you, you being in real estate, just like me, you know, this, that the supply chain's really messed up right now. And that's causing prices to go up too, because you can't get, you can't get stuff. I've, I've got friends that are builders and they can't get the materials. They can't get materials they need to, to do their, to do their projects and so forth. So, you know, that's another area to where I, it's, I don't think it's a good sign for inflation either. Yeah. And too many people talk about the supply chain coming back into a norm, but it, it doesn't seem to happen too fast. It, it's, it's continuously, uh, you know, we're, we're post, I don't know if we're post-COVID. We're not post-COVID. We're still in the middle of COVID, obviously, with the new wave. Um, but it is uh, certainly uh, something that probably might take a few years to uh, normalize, at least a few years. I, During I these few years, uh, the limited supply and then strong demand will continue to increase prices. It's the market equilibrium. Just market can't seem to find an equilibrium. So uh, the, this cost-driven inflation... It's still happening and probably will continue for at least a few more years as long as uh, kind of COVID is still dominating the thought and breaking the supply chain. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Like I say, none of us have crystal balls, but... Uh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I used to have a crystal ball, but it's <laughs> broke. I just can't find that one for sale. <laughs> yeah, I, I never had one, so you're lucky. Yeah. <laughs> But all right, so that let's let's kind of go with the trend. That for now we, we do see a pretty good trend. So are most people that invest with you, do they pick a turnkey model where they basically you buy the property, fix it up for them, and then they own it and you uh, turnkey manage for them, or do they prefer to do a loan with uh, an equity kicker, which is a little bit safer, uh, feels a little safer, but they're you know they're, they're, they're a little different from each other. Well, what do folks mostly prefer? Um, because of our price points, almost all of our investors pay cash for the homes. Oh, they just want to buy in cash flow, right? Have a, have a free and clear asset and a cash flow. Yeah. Now, is this possible to get financing on these things? The bank. Well, here, okay, great question. Okay, there is not the typical Freddie and Fannie financing. No, you can't get that. Okay, but what a lot of people do. Okay. They, they, they bring in, they bring in, and I've, I've got, I've got <laughs> investors that have done 10 or 15 of these deals. Like they've got people in their network, right. Who are sitting on cash or in the stock market. They don't want to be there no more. Right. So they'll buy the turnkey from me, bring in, bring in their, bring in a, the lender. They'll pay them six or 7% where they were getting one in the, at the bank. Right. So they win. So, but when, when it's all said and done, the, the person they're bringing in, you know, is cover is covering the whole cost, and they, and then then my investor still has three to four hundred dollars a month cash flow, and then using the dentist term, which we we talk about in freedom bonds, rinse and repeat, 
and they just rinse and repeat that. They just do do another one, then another one, then another one. So yeah, we we do it. We do have investors that are using private money to fund to fund these deals. And then of course some of them, yes, community banks. Some of them have good relationships with community banks and things like that that they'll bring in leverage on those deals. But you know, you're you're not going to get Fannie and Freddie fi- Freddie financing on manufactured homes. Now. Understood. Not a, not not an approved product. Uh, what about the portfolio lenders? Just curious. So community banks relationship lending, like you could get some loans. What about the Lima ones? The some of these portfolio lenders that do. You know, I, I've never looked at it to be honest with you. Okay, now ironically, I'm talking to a couple of family offices right now, and I'm talking to a few different people that are very, very interested in looking at our portfolio. Right. So, uh, but, but. Um, it's something that I am looking at, but I, I, I can't give you a good answer on it. I can't give you a good answer. Understood. I mean, the price point with $100,000 uh, is not such an expensive price point where people can't buy it for cash. If it feels like people buy it for cash, they don't really need the leverage. Return is good enough. And, you know, I tell investors this, you know, and, and you, you know, and you and I deal with a lot of the same investors, right? If you're already at... If you're already there, right? You're you're pretty much close to financially free. Having a having a why take extra risk, right? There's no you know if if you if, you, if you're already there, you know the free and clear assets are great. If you're trying to play catch up, yeah, then you want to you know use all the leverage you can to pay, play catch up. And so that's that's kind of uh, that's that's my that, that that's that's kind of what my investors have done, and that's kind of their thought process for the most part. And. That is a safer strategy. No argument that owning some properties free and clear is not a bad idea at all. Uh, I think most people use leverage, not necessarily uh, for the reason that, uh, I guess you, some folks are catching up and they're, they're trying to get a higher mm-hmm. rate of return uh, on their capital investment. But in general, it's a mathematical problem. Like, like I'm a mathematician, I would say that if I can get cheap debt leverage for long-term, um, I would rather do that than get a purely cash and cash because you can get your cash and cash magnified. So example here, and, and you tell me if the numbers uh, are right or wrong, but if it's $1,400 a month rent and they paid $100,000, let's just, what, what are the expenses in that property? Uh, taxes, insurance, uh, without any leverage. Like what would be the expenses on a property? Oh boy, you know, you're probably, uh, and, and boy, I hate, to, I hate to do this off the cuff here. You know, you're talking probably, you know, 200 a month taxes, uh, 100 a month insurance. Um, so yeah, probably 300. So you're probably 11, 1100 or something's left. Oh, you got to pay for property management. So they're probably around. Well, property management. Yeah, I'm sorry. So you figure you're, you're going to be somewhere in the vicinity of a thousand, you know, thousand somewhere under repair, you know, 900 to 900 somewhere in there. I, that would be my guess. So with all the expenses about 900. So it's not exactly 1% a month, but it's close. So maybe it's like 10% a year, right? Roughly at, at 9% a month times 12 months, a little bit over 10%. I do want to point out one thing though. You know, we fix the houses up so good. They, they really don't see maintenance for, till about four or five years. They really don't. You know, it's because we're, we're replacing everything new. So we cut that expense out. So, but, but we always tell people, plan on 10% per year, right? Yield. 10%, 10% of gross rents is what you want to plan for repairs down the road. But we've learned this too, that, that, in, you know, that appreciation and rent increases have always, for us is all have always outpaced, you know, repairs and maintenance, but. Yeah, that's actually a great point. I wanted to convey to the audience, which you, 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 you're doing absolutely the right thing by teaching them that they have to set aside 
capital expense reserves. Well, what, what, what you are saying is that these homes don't need immediate repairs because you've done such great job repairing them. On the other hand, they have to budget for future at about Absolutely. here 10% of revenue. So $1,400 a month, 140 bucks a month needs to put aside, be put aside into a reserve repair account. If, if you know, like most of my investors don't do that, but at least they've got to have it in their head that that's coming, right? If they, if yeah, you don't need to move it into an account, but if you're not psychologically prepared, uh, it, it's funny how it is. I, I like to use even more conservative number. To me, I say about a third of the cash flow. I mean, it really depends. So if you're getting 900 bucks a month, you need to be putting aside 300, which is maybe a little too much. Uh, what you are saying is use 10% of revenues as a figure, which is a decent um, way to think about it. But it has to be set aside in investors' head that five years from now or, so, or 10 years from now, you may need a new roof. If you didn't set the money aside, you have to come up with the cash. And yeah. mathematically, it needs to be considered as a capital X budget and accumulate somewhere in some kind of a, at least theoretically, psychological reserve account. And how we do it on our properties... <laughs> We're looking at it that every five to seven years, we're going to give the property a facelift, right? In the meantime, rents have gone up, it's appreciated, but we're going to, we're going to, we, we have to freshen it up again, get it ready for another five years. That's the way, that's the way that we look at it. So, and, and so, yeah, we're going to put the money in it every five to seven years to, to, to roll, to roll again. So. Yeah. And that's a great point, but we're back to the discussion. So a few real simple and critical points, folks should always budget. Uh, capital expense repairs for the next term. If even if it's not major expense, even if you don't have to re replace the roof, you have to repaint the house, maybe change the carpet, a few other things. Mm -hmm. Makes total sense. And then the other point where we're chatting that these stuffs are not really you know easily financeable. But if you can find leverage, uh, if you do cash and cash at ten percent without leverage, uh, and you had leverage of any kind of leverage, even sixty percent leverage, you could still get the cash flow in the high teens. So for some people, it may not be a critical requirement, but for some other folks, it's, it's a consideration, especially if you can use somebody else's money at some kind of low interest rates. So basically, if your cash on cash is 10%, but you could borrow at six, that arbitrage of 4% a year creates additional um, uh, return or, 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 or enhances the cash on cash. It's a, it's a mathematical figure, but it doesn't really... Um, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So just, okay. go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, and our company strategy is we don't sell properties. We refinance them. That's what we do. Okay. Because we're, we're taking our equity off the table tax-free, right? When you refinance versus we've had some big appreciation. So we, we bring in another investor and, and we'll, we'll, uh, my CPA taught me that and it was brilliant. He said, you should never sell a house. Right. So, so you're, you're keeping the cash flow. You're, you're getting your equity off the table and it's tax-free. And so there's a real good strategy there for, that's another, that's, a, that's another, uh, podcast, but that there's a real good strategy there too. So. Yeah, I've heard that before, and my friends call it refi until you die. Uh, you know as what? crazy as it sounds. Yeah, yeah, no, I've heard the same phrase. I've heard the same phrase. And, and from a tax standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I mean, I'll add the following commentary on this point. So there are reasons to sell, and um, there are reasons not to sell, especially if you're happy with the cash flow and you're happy with an asset allocation, everything else, why sell, right? The reason typically people sell uh, is if uh, their return on yield has gotten down, sort of 
imagine a scenario where the appreciation outpaces the rent growth substantially, right? And in that scenario, at some point, if so much uh, uh, trapped equity, even refi doesn't necessarily do the justice to get the cash out. Yeah, and, but and before you sell, just to, uh, forgive me for a final thought. Yeah. Before you sell, you got to have something else to roll the money into. And that's a consideration. If you, 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 can't, you should not have a sell in a vacuum. If you have a good idea where you, you roll the money into the next project, then uh, it's a good play. But selling purely because uh, you want to sell, what are you going to do with cash? That, that, that question will immediately come up. If you can't answer that question, then why are you selling? I agree 100% with you said. And our main strategy is refinance. But no, we've got some properties now that we're going to sell. And here's why. Because the, the taxing authorities have caught up with the prices now, right? They, yes. they know they're worth $150,000, $200,000. And I've got this massive part of equity in there now that the taxes went up so much, it brings down the cash flow to where I can take that capital from that house when I sell it and reinvest in other properties that are, that are going to bring a much better, much better cash flow. So yeah, in that case, I agree with you 100%. You, you sell. I think we're both we're preaching to on the same subject. If once your return, your cash on cash return uh, calms down because of the government uh, need for taxes, and we appreciate and respect the government, and we're not. <laughs> the government typically seems to always want taxes, uh, and um, it happens. It's exactly what happens in many uh, cities and towns. They figured out the property is worth a lot more now and they're taxing based on that. They don't really care that the rents have not kept up. So at some point you, you have essentially diminishing rate of return on your capital. And that's the only real time where you got to consider what I do, can I redeploy? Then the, the obvious issue becomes in what do you do with your capture depreciation and a number of other things. And the reason we talk about it because uh, we've been solving some of these problems. Uh, for example, Temple Grove Fund 2, which we're working on now to launch, will have certain units that folks can participate in. The, um, we call them, let's just call them high depreciation units. The fund is still in the works. We haven't launched it yet, but the high depreciation units will get, say, $2 for every dollar invested. Again, not guaranteed. This is an estimate. So what folks can do, they can sell an appreciated property get the cash and uh, the way to mitigate the tax liabilities and depreciation recapture is invest in a new fund or a deal or a property where you can run a cost seg, basically get some accelerated depreciation and offset uh, the, the gains, the passive uh, investment gains with passive allocation losses. Absolutely. It, it's another discussion, but just a way to, to think about this. You, you always have to think about where you deploy the, redeploy the cash and what's going to happen from a tax perspective. Because what you don't want to do is sell, put the money somewhere, it gives you good cash flow, but then you got still have a big tax bill. You're going to wake up and say, wait a minute, what just happened? No question. And, and you know, and this is, that, that brings up a really good point. That's why I love real estate. I love the depreciation side of it. You, you can do the cost seg if you want to. You can do the straight line depreciation. But, you know, people, you know, people, investors, and I've been guilty of this too, that you're looking at gross gross rate of return, right? You got to look at what your net rate of return is. That's the real number, right? Whatever you're paying in taxes, that taxes, taxes are what eat up your return. So, it, you know, trying to get, trying to do, get as much as you can legally, morally, and ethically tax-free or tax-deferred, tax-whatever, that's the key to successful real estate investing, in my opinion. Yeah, I agree. Um, most people gravitate to real estate uh, for one of the major uh, reasons you can grow your wealth effectively tax-deferred. 
for many, 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 many years. And uh, uh, so many people, I don't want to crack this joke, but I call it, once you keep doing it, you sell your soul to the real estate depreciation devil because you got all this massive portfolio, all the depreciation you've taken. One day it comes in with a, with a recapture. Uh, there's a ways to, to, to mitigate that risk, but, but a lot of people, once okay. they get used to this, it becomes very hard to wake up one day and say, oh, now I want to pay the taxes. It's more like, where do I deploy the money to get more depreciation? No doubt. And just for the record, my company, we don't do cost seg. We just do straight line depreciation for that reason. We don't do it. Yeah, you don't have a big recapture. So you have a very fairly manageable recapture reason. So your sale your sale problem on the depreciation recapture is not as painful as some other folks who've done the cost segs. Right. So, yeah, there's another discussion. Uh, I'll just mention this. So cost seg, uh, right now we're in a bonus at 100% year one. We'll start phasing out. So for those who are still looking to get extra depreciation. 2022 is still good. 2021 is good. 2022 is still 100%. And begin, begins phasing out to 20% per year. So uh, it, it, although the CPAs have spoken with, they believe that there will be a renewal. There will be a renewal uh, because it's been uh, the norm for many years. There are both rich real estate Democrats and really real estate Republicans that will influence the uh, the House and the uh, the Senate to make sure that it continues. Anyway, Glenn, I appreciate your wisdom. So how would folks uh, get a hold of you? What's the best way? I know yeah. you have a book out. I don't know if you want to give a little, well, little pitch actually, to the book. It, it's on our website, okay? And we give it away for free, okay? If they do decide to make a donation, we give it to a charity. That's what we do. We've got a charity that we give the money to, not looking to make money in the book, but it's called Private Lender Secrets. I, I did it with David Phelps, our good friend, right? Our good mutual friend. And it's uh, about private lending, right? It's a, it's, a, it's, 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 a good, it's a good read. So if they go to if they go to stromberginvestmentgroup.com, you see my name behind me. That's how you spell it, S-T-R-O-M-B-E-R-G investmentgroup.com. And then, they, you know, like I say, there's more information uh, for our company, everything else. If they're interested in learning more about us, we, we got a deal that they could set up a call with, you know, with, with myself, a Calendly link and so forth. And um, I, I'm different too in this way. I always give out my phone number. That people feel free to, I'm not formal at all. People can feel free to call me. It's 817-966-1258. Thank you, Glenn, for sharing. Uh, thank you for being available. Appreciate your wisdom. And uh, yeah, you have a great turnkey product. In some ways, your product, just, just hearing you and just seeing what's out there, is superior to your traditional turnkeys because they just don't have the product. They, they don't have the product with the ratios of the cash flow, like a 10% yield. Today, to get a non-levered 10% yield per year is incredibly hard. Normal turnkeys, just, you just can't find it. Unless, I don't even know if you are like really rough areas or somewhere there's no appreciation that's the, the beauty of what we do is there are no rough areas they're, they're not they're not in the hoods they're out yeah both carolina's a great georgia is great texas is great they're, you guys they're, are in great areas. areas good school districts the whole thing that's they're not in the they're not in the city they're not in the cities or the inner cities and things like that so yeah we we love our space and it's been really good to us and uh, it's been working since 2006 so we love we love it so thank you for sharing thank you for your wisdom appreciate you coming as a guest uh on the podcast, yeah, wishing you and your family Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy and Healthy, and uh, here at the next uh, Freedom Founders of CG event. Sounds great, Mike. Thanks a lot, man. You're a great guy and great job, great, great interview today. I appreciate you having me. Okay. Thank you.
Thank you for listening to the Big Mike Fun Podcast. To receive your copy of Mike's How to Choose a Smart Real Estate Fun Book, head to BigMikeFun.com or visit Amazon and type Mike's slot in. Keep listening and keep investing Big Mike style. See you on the next episode.